You guys believe that God wants to do something in this age like he's, did, he's done in the Bible? I believe that with all my heart. That's why we're talking about revival, because we're talking about this is the stuff that happened in Scripture is the stuff that we believe is going to happen today and is happening all around us. You guys go ahead and grab a seat. We're going to continue our series called Revival. And I want you guys just to have a hunger for what God might do today in you, through you even, as you walk out of this place. Last week, let me just give a quick review of last week. By the way, if you missed last week, you really need to go back and listen to last week. It's foundational. It may seem like it's not foundational for what we're talking about with revival, but I guarantee you it is foundational for everything else, okay? So if you missed last week, go back and find it. But I'll just give you a quick review before we go any further. Revival comes through love and not fear, Revival comes through love and not fear. And I know that some of you guys really wrestled with that when I preached that last week because I, I preached about the love of God and not, the, the fear, not being afraid of God. And I know some people really struggled with what about the fear of God and all these scriptures on the fear of God and, and, and how, you know, if I sin that somehow I've got to ultimately make that back up to God or God is going to punish me in some way for my sin. And, and we talked about how the, the first John says, Listen, there, it says, there is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but, there's no, but God is love. How do you guys know God is love, right? And, and so however you define fear of God, it cannot be defined as fear of punishment from God when you're in Christ. Because how many of you guys know Jesus took my punishment, didn't he? Jesus paid the price for my sins. I cannot pay the price for them. And it doesn't just mean it stops at salvation, like Jesus took care of all of that and I got saved, and now from here on out, I've got to somehow be my own savior or at least pay back when I do wrong. That's not how it works. And, and sometimes I think that, that a lot of us, we, we love to go back and to try to find a way to pay back God when we screw up. How many of you guys have ever done that before? I've been there. Well, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. Because I really screwed it up and I owe God. Now you guys know the gospel is that he, he, he paid a debt he didn't know, but we owed it. He paid it though. And sometimes here's what happens. When you don't have a revelation of grace, a full revelation of the good grace of God, the law looks pretty good. Because it's the only thing you have left. When you don't understand how good God's grace is and how big God's grace is and how big God's love is and you don't understand it fully and you don't have a full revelation of that, the law looks pretty good. In other words, trying to find a way to be my own sacrifice, to make my own sacrifice, to pay God back looks pretty good because that's all you have left. That's the only option you have left. And So why do we go this route of trying to be our own savior? Why do we go this route? I think it's because we really like to be in control. We're more comfortable when we're in control of the situation. And in one sense, grace, hear me, grace makes us feel like we're not in control. Because it's no longer up to us to do something to cause something. Because Jesus did the thing that caused grace to happen. Now, when you understand that that God does not punish you for your sins when you're in Christ. Yes, he may discipline you, but how many of you guys know that discipline and punishment are not the same thing? 
Discipline literally means to disciple, which means to train for godliness, okay? So punishment means to pay back something. Disciple means to train for something. It's the difference of, of, of what causes something and what's the fruit of. Do you realize that we, we cannot do any good works to hold off the wrath of God? If we could, we'd be our own Savior. But instead, because Jesus' grace is so good, it causes us to do good works. Amen? At least it ought to in us, or you don't have a full revelation of grace. So why do I say all that to start us out? Because I think so many of us are comfortable when we're in control. But do you realize that good things can happen when you're not in control? Good things can happen when you're not in control. How many of you guys are just self-proclaimed, or at least in your past somewhere, you're a control freak in some way, shape, or form? All right. You know, here's the thing. How many of you guys, you don't think you're a control freak, but everybody tells you you're one. How many of you guys are that one? That's me. I, I just like, everybody started telling me, you're a control freak. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm, I don't know the control. I'm just trying to make sure things are done right because you guys can't do it right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so I, sometimes we like to be in control. We're comfortable in control. But good things can happen when you release it. And I've shared this story before, but years ago, I've got five kids, by the way. And years ago, we decided to go on vacation Got done preaching on Sunday morning. We packed up everything. We got in the vehicle. One small detail that we did not do for this vacation is we decided not to plan anything. We had no plan. So I got in the car with all of the kids and and all of our stuff, and I literally got in the car. We're ready to go. And I say, okay, kids, which way do you want to go? North, south, east, or West? Five kids. How many of you guys, your brain is just exploding right now that you just thought, how many of you guys are like, it, you, you, ladies are like looking at your husbands, if you ever do this, you are, and so we, we're just, if somebody's getting an idea right here, so <laughs> praise God, he's, he's ready, but we got in there, and I just said, all right, let's do this. And so we just started driving. They just said, north, let's go north. I'm like, all right, let's go. So we just started driving. We didn't know where we were going. So then we just got to what state. I'm like, okay, which state do you want to go to, guys, as we were driving north? And they picked a state. And then we just kept driving. Then a puke event happened, and we parked for the night. Then we got up in the morning, and we just kept driving. Because this is the life of people with kids, right? And so, and by the way, if you have five kids, you have to strategically find hotel rooms. I'll just tell you that right now, because we're not paying for two. I'll tell you that. So we sneak kids in. We, go, we have a whole strategy for it. I ought to write an ebook on it sometime. It'd sell great. It's going to be awesome. If you ever want to know our secrets, just come and, and we'll t- just fill you in. But so we, we stopped and we just kept driving. The next morning, we ended all the way up in Traverse City, Michigan. We'd never been there before. We didn't know what was up there. And we ended up having one of the best vacations of all, uh, the, of all of our vacations. And it all started off with me sitting there in the driveway with no plan and just saying, which way do you want to go? Good things can actually happen when you're not in control and when you don't know where you're going. Now, how many of you guys are uncomfortable when you don't know where you're going? Anybody? Now, let me just say this. I really believe that when I talk about revival and when I talk about what God has done and what God is going to do, revival, I believe, happens when we don't know what's next. Because so many times we have it so planned out that we've planned God out. 
Now, God can work in plans, and God can work in goals, and I'm not saying any of that, but I'm simply saying that if we really want God to do something, sometimes we have to open up our hand, which opens up our heart, which opens up possibilities. Sometimes revival happens when you don't know what's coming next. And sometimes I think that surprise is God's love language. I think God likes to surprise us. Have you guys liked to surprise your kids? I think God likes, I think surprise is God's love language. But so many times we want a God who never surprises us. We want a God who would never do something different. For sure, we don't want a God who would actually do what happened in the Bible, because that would be a little uncomfortable. (laughs) Sometimes revival happens when we simply open up our hand and our heart and say, God, what are you doing? How can I be a part? I don't have to know. Have you guys ever got a gift that you really wanted for a long time? Maybe this was as as a kid. I think back as a kid, and I remember this. Stuff that I wanted for a long time and then finally got it. And then, then you felt empty after you got it. It's like everything you'd hoped for that it would be, sometime, somehow it was for a moment, but that was it. And that was it. And especially if you're like us where you're trying to feel all the gifts at Christmas and trying to guess them. You already know what you're getting. You know, the surprise is gone. I think that that's, that's where a lot of us are with God. The surprise is gone. We've planned the surprise right out of God. And that's not how God operates. I think God is way bigger than us, guys, okay? I think God, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans are higher than our plans. His ways are higher than our ways. And if that's true, then there's got to be times we're surprised by God. That we didn't see that one coming, right? Is anybody following me today? There's got to be times like that. And I've shared this before, but it was such a significant part of my life because it was all through my teenage years, which is a big chunk of my life. Big chunk of my life. I, I felt called by God to be a youth pastor. This is what I prayed about. This is what I worked hard for. This is what I dreamed about. I schemed about. I planned for. I just felt like I was called by God to be a youth pastor. And I assumed I'd be doing that for a majority of my life. That's, that's just the view that I had. And I felt like, and so this was consuming me. And so I prayed about it and, and worked towards it. And it didn't seem like there was any way for this to really happen on the path that I was. And then as I grew out of my teenage years, I became 20 and then got mar- married at 18. And then we had a kid and at 21, my dreams still hadn't happened. And have you guys ever get frustrated when your dreams haven't happened yet? Anybody at all? All right. This guy down here. Okay. He's going on vacation. So don't worry about him. <laughs> And, and so I've been there. And then it was like literally, I don't have time to tell the story, but literally overnight, I became a youth pastor at a very large church. I mean, improbable situation. God just, boom, there you go. Here's your dreams. Boom. Just all of a sudden, and I was a youth pastor, hundreds of teenagers, the large, one of the largest youth ministries in the state even at the time. It was just crazy overnight. And I was like, wow, God, from all of this dreaming and planning and then overnight, at 21, everything I had just, I'd been praying for all of my known life at that point had just come to pass at 21. And then I had a problem. Because a year or two later, I started to realize at 21, everything I'd dreamed for and planned for and had come to pass. 
I no longer dreamed about being a youth pastor because I was one at a high level. So then I was like, well, maybe I could just believe to have the largest youth ministry in the world, you know. What do you do now? I had a problem. I'd accomplished everything that I had dreamed. In one sense, I was so frustrated up until that point, it seemed like a lifetime or an eternity to get there. But then when I looked back, it was like everything I had accomplished that I'd prayed for and hoped for happened earlier than I thought it would. And there I was with the problem. So was I dreaming too small in my teenage years? Probably. I probably was dreaming too small, even though at the time it seemed huge. It seemed way bigger than me. Was I dreaming too small? Probably. But here's a bigger problem. Here's the bigger problem that I had, and maybe you have this problem too. It wasn't that I was just dreaming small. It was that I was dreaming wrong. I was dreaming destination-oriented. So in other words... My success was going to be found in a destination. It's like when I become a youth pastor, then that's when it's going to happen. Like my future was found in a destination. In some sense, my identity was found in a destination. And in some sense, my happiness was found in a destination. It was like all waiting for this space or this spot that if I could get to, That my frustration would be gone, my happiness would be there, my identity would be there, my future would be there, my success would be there. And the problem is, I reached it when I was 21 years old. And then I'm like, now what? They say success is a moving target, right? So as soon as you hit one level of success, all of a sudden, you've got to find a new one. And there I was needing to find a new one because I realized that everything that I had, that my destination had been achieved, and yet I didn't have the happiness there. My identity should not be in that destination. My future wasn't there. See, I thought it was going to take a lifetime to get, of just working up into this, but it all happened overnight. So here's my question. All of you guys right now who have dreams, hopes, goals, whatever that is right now, which those are great, no problem. But what if tomorrow morning, just like I woke up one morning, and it was like everything I had been dreaming for came to pass? What if tomorrow morning you wake up and everything you're dreaming for right now comes to pass? Then what? You might say, well, I'll get new dreams. I'll get bigger dreams. I'll I'll have more dreams. And then what? Be frustrated the whole time until those dreams come to pass, like you are right now, frustrated until these dreams come to pass? Because that's where I was. That's the trap we fall into. You see... Sometimes I believe we're setting ourselves up to live a lifetime of frustration because of destination-oriented dreams. Because as soon as you get to that destination, and you've been frustrated the whole time because you haven't got there, as soon as you get there, you need another dream to be frustrated that you can't get. And I'm telling you, if you get everything you're dreaming for tomorrow morning when you wake up, 
it's not going to be enough. You might just be like me and a year later say, now what? And you'll have the same problem. And you'll need a new dream. And you'll need a new frustration. The question is, is that how it's supposed to work? (laughs) Are we supposed to live that way? And I don't believe that we are. And and we can see this in the life of Abraham. I I love the story of Abraham because Abraham is who we call the father of faith. And he's got all these stories in the Bible. And it's like you're reading Genesis and you get past all the, you know, the, the creation stuff. You get past all of the the names and all the lists of names and you hear about Noah and stuff. Then you get to Abraham and it starts to spread out a little bit, right? You start to get this storyline going. And Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, 8 kind of recaps this. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And I love this. And he went out not knowing where he was going. (laughs) You know... In order for Abraham to walk by faith, I believe in some ways he had to not know where he was going. Because we walk by faith and not by sight, right? And so he walked out not knowing where he was going. And this is really the key that you need to get today. Because for Abraham, the destination is the journey. The journey is the destination. You can say it either way. The journey is the destination. If you want to have any destination, the journey is it. I'm not talking about journey church. I'm talking about following Jesus. I'm talking about the process is the destination. See, so many of us, we have destination-oriented dreams, but they do not satisfy. When we get there, the rug gets pulled out, and we need a new one. And and some of us don't want to hear this message today because we know it's true. We just don't want to surrender to it. But the journey is the destination. And if we can get a hold of this by faith and by revelation of the Holy Spirit, that really the journey with God is the win. The following Jesus is the win. Yes, there will be markers along the way. There will be new levels along the way. There will be all these things along the way. Pastor Mike Plain will be coming in next week. He's going to talk about those Kairos moments. There are those along the way. But if you get hooked up or hung up on those things along the way, you will be frustrated your whole life because you've set yourself up for a cycle of frustration. And this not only applies to just dreams and goals that we have or New Year's resolution type things that we have in our life, It applies to our relationship with God and how we interact with God. We've had a lot of people get healed around here lately. I mean, literally healed, like medically documented healings, multiple. We don't have time to share all of them even. Some of them are personal, but they're they're just all over the place. We've had them, I mean, seriously, we've had over and over and over again. Almost every day I'll get something from somebody. But some of you might not have seen that happen. You're like, well, why didn't I get healed when I came up to get prayed? Why didn't that happen for me? And you get kind of get frustrated. And I I was watching this video that Pastor Aaron sent me, and it's like 16 minutes long. I wish I could share the whole thing. I'm not going to. I'm just going to share just a minute of it. But it really captures the heart of what I want us to get today. So let's go ahead and watch. First of all, don't believe it has to be just because it's been people's experience. When you believe it has to be, you're already striving and in trouble. I'm just saying, it's because your personal body's feeling the personal pain you've been prayed for, and then the questions go a mile a minute. 
Why wasn't I healed? We already prayed. Todd even prayed for me. Bob prayed for me. Dan prayed for me. I'm still not healed. I have to be doing something wrong. Duh, 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 duh. And we make faith a point in time or a hit, miss, win, or lose instead of a position of your heart to receive what he accomplished. And faith works through love and we're to be rooted and grounded in love. And all of a sudden we identify ourselves through what hasn't changed and love gets subverted. We get veiled and don't even have intimacy. Now we're just people driven with a problem using the Bible as a principle to get help instead of a relationship that's love there was a lot in there but I'll tell you the first thing I really want to hit on is is that that sometimes we make faith a moment or a point in time and that's where we get destination oriented even in our faith that God if this doesn't happen that somehow all faith is lost faith is not a moment in time the journey is the destination so point number one today is simply this Don't let results overshadow relationship. Results, goals, dreams, all those things are fine, but don't let those things or lack of results overshadow relationship. Hebrews 11.9, by faith he went to live in the land of promise. Abraham had a promise from God. He had a promise from God, and he had this, this hope. But can we just be honest, and even the scripture, as you continue to read Hebrews, just chapter 11, it says that these all died in faith, not receiving the promise. See, if Abraham would have allowed these results or the lack of them, he would not have continued to follow God. It says, as in a foreign land. He was supposed to be receiving the land of promise, but he lived as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Can you imagine that you've got this promise and you've already done this crazy thing? You've left everything that you know. You didn't know where you were going, so you already look like a genius, right? And you're already out there, and, and you're living your life, and you're just living in tents. And at some point, somebody's saying, Dad, did you hear right, you know? Grandpa, are you sure? <laughs> Because it looks like we're living in tents. We're camping. We're not living it up like we should, you know. And somebody could make a case for that. And I'm just saying that if you're fixated on certain outcomes with God and you let everything rise, you put all your eggs in that basket on certain outcomes, and it has to be this or nothing, then you may be missing God because for one reason, you may, one thing, you may be thinking too small. You may even have your destination-oriented prayer even wrong. So if you want to put, if you want to hang out in destination-oriented things, you may even have the wrong destination and be frustrated. <laughs> God's like, nah, that's not the destination. I had something way bigger. And, and, and so don't let results overshadow relationship. We were at a pastor's conference a couple weeks ago. And there was this guy who's like this evangelist type guy. And I say that just because he has a gift of evangelism. Everywhere he goes, it just seems like it just flows out. He doesn't, it's just like he's empowered by God to do that. And so he goes around and does that. But he had a prophetic word also. God gave him this word. And as he said this word, it's like I received it and felt like this is for Journey Church too. This is for us. And so I'm going to read this out. But there's a key in this that I really want us to get. And here's the word that he shared. He shared this. I'm purging my body from the scourge of oppressive spirits who seek to rob my people of their true strength. Discouragement, disappointment, disunity, and distrust have had a home among my people far for far too long. I'm rising with fire in my wings to pour out a refining in my houses. And people will flock and gather, listen to this, because of my presence. 
Prepare, prepare your tent pegs, prepare my houses, prepare your hearts to host my presence. It's time to lay down, to pick up, to drop what is yours and embrace what is mine. If you don't make room for me, all you have built will burn like stubble and hay. But if you make room for me, I will visit you with my glory and, I will, and you will rise as my sons and daughters to take cities, to destroy the powers that seek to devour my people. Revival is within you. Take the lid off. But you hear it's all about his presence. I believe that we can apply that to our church, that if we don't make room for God's presence, I mean, it should be a no-brainer, but if we don't make room for God's presence, all we have built in the natural will be burnt off. But if we make room for his presence, then his power will come and be able to do things in us and through us that we could not do on our own. The same is true for each and every individual life here. If we don't make room for the presence of God in our life, that we don't create that space where it's about relationship instead of always doing things and accomplishing things and all this type of stuff, then we're going to miss it. I was having a conversation this week with some people, and sometimes it's funny how I'll just have conversations and God's just adding to, to the message as I'm having conversations. But we were talking about, like, sometimes I wonder, if somebody's whole purpose on this planet, if God has a purpose for somebody and their whole purpose is one day at one moment in time, they're going to have one conversation with a particular person that God leads them to cross their path. And that one conversation sparks something that goes out and goes to, to other people. That God needed that one conversation, that one encouragement to happen. And that was the whole reason. Now, of course, they can do other things. And, but I wonder sometimes if God looked, and, and if we could just take the veil off and we realize, what if I'm here for one conversation and that's the purpose that God has for my life? And, and, and I was like, wow, what if we could take the veil off? And what if you found out that it was you and you were the person that God had you on the planet for one conversation? Could you live with that? <laughs> Could you rest in that? And then as we were talking, we, somebody said, well, okay, what if you get to the point in your life and you've had the conversation? What do you do for the rest of your life? And I said, you enjoy God. Do you realize we're not just created to do, but we are created to be? So many of us are so concerned with doing things for God that we forget that our whole purpose really first and foremost is not to be servants of God, to be sons and daughters of God. And that is primary. And I'm going to say something very strong, and you need, it needs to hit you strong today, okay? It really does. Because sometimes we need to be hit with some things strong because it breaks open things. And here's what I'm going to say, and please receive this. If you can't be fully satisfied in relationship with God, you'll be extremely dangerous trying to do things for God. If you can't be fully satisfied in relationship with God, in other words, if I don't ever do anything for God in my whole life, 
but I'm with God. Now, God has plans. I'm not saying he doesn't, but I'm saying if you can't be fully rooted that this is enough for me, when you go out and try to accomplish big things for God, you'll be dangerous. You'll hurt people. You'll hurt yourself. You'll be frustrated. You'll end up getting offended at people because you have not been fully satisfied in God. It's all about relationship with God. And why is that? Because somewhere along the line, you have bought into the lie that Jesus is not enough for me. That I need Jesus, but I also need something to do. God created us for a purpose. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying if you don't get this right, this will be wrong. If we don't get this right, where we could be fully satisfied here, See, it's, when you, it's only when you're fully satisfied here that this really has meaning. It's only when you're fully rested here that this actually has meaning. And so many times we cannot buy into this idea that the journey is the destination because we want destinations. <laughs> we want destinations. And some of us, we can't buy into the idea that the journey is the destination because we've had bad experiences along the journey. We've had bad experiences and it begins to cloud everything. And we begin, the way we look back at our life and our walk with God, it doesn't look joyful because we've had some bad experiences. How many of you guys like to watch documentaries? Anybody documentary people? How many of you guys think it's the most boring thing on the planet to just sit there and watch a documentary? Okay, I'm a documentary guy, so I can just sit there and watch that all day. And I also like watching those TED Talks because sometimes they have some fascinating things on there. And I came across one the other day that was talking about this idea of how we remember things. And how important it is for us to, to understand that. So let's watch. Now, I'd like to start with an example of a, somebody who had a question and answer session after one of my lectures reported a story. And that was the story. He said he had been listening to a symphony. And it was absolutely glorious music. And at the very end of the recording, there was a dreadful screeching sound. And then he added, really quite emotionally, it ruined the whole experience. But it hadn't. What it had ruined was the memory of the experience. He had had the experience. He had had 20 minutes of glorious music. They counted for nothing because he was left with a memory, the memory was ruined, and the memory was all that he had gotten to keep. What this is telling us, really, is that we might be thinking of ourselves and of other people in terms of two selves. Uh, there is an experiencing self who lives in the present and knows the present. It's capable of reliving the past, but basically it has only the present. It's the experiencing self that the doctor approaches, you know, when the doctor asks, does it hurt now when I touch you here? And then there is a remembering self. And the remembering self is the one that keeps score and maintains the story of our life. And it's the one that the doctor approaches in asking the question, uh, how have you been feeling lately? Or how was your trip to Albania? Or something like that. Those are two very different entities, the experiencing self and the, and the remembering self. And getting confused between them is part of the mess about the notion of happiness. Now, the remembering self is a storyteller. 
And that really starts with a basic response of our memory. It starts immediately. We don't only tell stories when we set out to tell stories. Our memory tells us stories. That is, what we get to keep from our experiences is a story. And let me begin with one example. This is an old study. Those are actual patients undergoing a painful procedure. I won't go into detail. It's no longer painful these days, but it was painful when this, ex when this study was run in the 1990s. They're asked to report on their pain every 60 seconds. And here are two patients. Those are their, their recordings. And you are asked who of them suffered more. And it's a very easy question. I mean, clearly patient B suffered more. His colonoscopy was longer, and every minute of pain that patient A had, patient B had, and more. But now there is another question. How much did these patients think they suffered? And here is a surprise. And the surprise is that patient A had a much worse memory of the colonoscopy than patient B. The stories of the colonoscopies were different, and because a very critical part of a story is how it ends. And neither of these stories is very inspiring or great, but, but, one of them is distinct, <laughs> but one of them is distinctly worse than the other. And the one that is worse is the one where pain was at its peak at the very end. It's a bad story. How do we know that? Because we asked these people after their colonoscopy and much later too, how bad was the whole thing in total? And it was much worse for A than for B in memory. Now, this is a direct conflict between the experiencing self and the remembering self. Bet you didn't think you're going to hear the word colonoscopy today. <laughs> it is a good reminder for those of you guys who are at a certain age. This is just kind of just, just a reminder, just if you needed that. <laughs> I like the example, though, that you talked about, about the symphony and how one wrong note ruined the whole thing. Some of us have been following Jesus for a long time. We've had some wrong notes in there. Don't let a wrong note ruin the symphony. Don't let some moments along the way in your relationship along the journey with God ruin all of the beautiful things that God is doing and has done. Some of us create destinations of our choosing and of our liking because we've had destinations that weren't so great. So we're uncomfortable allowing the journey to play out. Genesis chapter 25, we look at the end of, of Abraham's life. It says, these are the days and years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and, and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years and was gathered to his people. He had a lot of notes that weren't so good along the way. But I love how his story ends. It's just like he was a, a man full of years and good old age. Don't let a wrong note, don't let a disappointment Keep you from the journey that God has for you. Don't let it hold you back from like, well, now I've got to be in control of things and I've got to plan out my destiny because I've had some bad things happen. You know, many of you guys know that we've, uh, we uh, are on this journey with this building campaign where we've been, we don't know where we're going. At the first of the year, I said that we need more space. Some of you guys are sitting in chairs that we had to pull out extra today because we need more space. And so we, we started that building fund. We had like a hundred and something thousand at the beginning of the year. And many of you guys have been given generously and faithful to that. 
And, and, and we're still, we've got a, a search team that's on that, and we're knocking on doors. We're, we're like going up to people's buildings, and it's like, it's not for sale, but we're like, this would work. Hey, can we, we'd like to buy your building. And we're doing everything that we can, okay? And we're still at the point we're trying to figure out, I mean, our lease is up at the end of this year, and we're like, what are we doing next? And so at the beginning of the year when I stood up and I said, guys, we don't know what is next for us as a church as far as a space to meet. I really meant we don't know. <laughs> it's not like we had some big plan. I mean, we really meant we don't know, but we feel like we're supposed to prepare. And so we feel like, and it's not like, I mean, so we've been just going by faith. Like, we don't know. It's not like we had this plan. It's like, okay, we've got this thing, and we're going to make it look like, I mean, this is going to be really insurmountable, and we're going to let time go by, and then we're going to pull this thing out at the last moment and see, look what God did. He surprised all of us. No, we're really walking by faith. We don't know. And we've had moments of disappointment along the way and frustration, but you know what? At the same time, we could focus on those moments of disappointments, or we can look back at all that God has done this year and be like, wow. What a beautiful story that we get to walk with God. Look at what God is doing along the way. When we got into this building just like six years ago, it, it was going to cost like $100,000 to renovate this place. We only had $50,000. This place was much different than what it looks like now when we first came in here. And, and we only had $50,000. And at the place where we were, it's like we've got to come up with another fifty, like twice as much money as we have in the bank that we've been diligently saving just to get into this place in like two months. How's this going to happen? And God miraculously came through. Many people generously gave. Now, honestly, we're standing at a place where it's going to take 40 or 50 times that amount of money. 40 or 50 times that amount of faith. And it doesn't bother me. Because we've been walking with God for a long time. We've seen God be faithful. And we can try to architect our future. Or we can get in the car and say, God, which way are we going? North, south, east, or west? We could plan it all out and plan out our destination or we can let God begin to lead us. And as we begin to drive, then God will say, okay, which state, which state are we going to, God? Which state, which, where are we going to go? And that's how God's, God works. The journey is the destination. Don't let one wrong note ruin the symphony. So just to show you that we live this stuff out, we were driving to uh, Traverse City the other day on a, this pastor's conference. We happened to be in Traverse City. And so Becca and I stopped along the way, and we just happened to, as we were walking along, we happened to come upon this symphony that was actually playing outside. And so I sent this video originally just to my kids, but I thought I'd share it with you because it's 30 seconds of an awkward moment. And... <laughs> We just decided we were going to experience a symphony. And then at the very end of this 30 seconds, there's a note that happens that if you pay very close attention, the dog doesn't even like. So let's just watch. You can't, you can't plan that stuff. It just happens to me. So 
<laughs> God just knew I was going to be preaching this message, so let's just wrap up today. We're running out of time. We really are. I'm going to have the worship team come back up, but I have one more, one more point, and it's this. Don't let your plans short-circuit God's process. Because when you start walking with God and you get a promise from God, there's nothing wrong with promises from God. But there's always a process attached to the promise, isn't there? Don't let your plans short-circuit God's process. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says this. We've read a couple of these, but it'll land on the last one. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in, foreign land, in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10 says this, For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. He wasn't looking for his own city. He wasn't looking to build a city on his own design, but he was looking for a city whose designer, whose foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Whenever you have a promise, there's always a process. Let's just be careful to not let our plans get in the way of God's process. The journey is the destination. And we can see this even in salvation. Do you realize that salvation is not the destination? Salvation is not the finish line. Salvation is the starting line, amen? It's the starting line of what? It's the starting line of the journey. Salvation is not the destination. Salvation is the starting point of the follow me. The follow me is the destination. The follow me is going to last for the rest of your life. You're not ever going to get done with the follow me until you meet him face to face. So you might as well get used to it because the destination is the follow me. And, and so many of us just aren't willing to fully surrender to that. We want to follow him. Like, like we, we're, we're okay with him being in the, a passenger, like backseat driver or something like that and like telling us things that we kind of listen to, kind of pay attention to. How many of you guys have a spouse like that? Um, <laughs> But we're not okay, like, fully sometimes. And I heard this story a while ago, and I tried to look it up to see if I could find out where it was located. I didn't, I didn't have time to do that. But it was a story that it was about this missionary. He's, like, one of the first missionaries to China. This is years and years and years ago. It was an untouched area. And they were going as a missionary into inland China, and they had some missionaries going in there, people who had never heard the gospel, people who had ne- didn't even have a context for what the gospel is, for the story of Jesus. Didn't even know about it at all. Never heard it. But see, in those type of contexts, in those type of places, whenever the gospel gets preached, there's always a cost involved. They always have to leave everything. And it's not just like leaving things like here and your life kind of gets better because you get to have new friends and, and get to go to eat at church events. You know, that's, that's not what it was like. It's like they... It costs them something. Many times it costs them everything. So they went into this particular uh, place, this particular village, and there was this leader of this village there, and 
They preached the gospel day after day after day. And this village leader continued to listen, but wasn't convinced, listened and listened day after day and thought about it and thought about it. And finally, after days of hearing the gospel message, decided that he was going to give his life to Jesus Christ. And he went over to the missionary and he said, I've thought about this for days and I'm ready. And he was super serious. He said, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus because he knew what it was going to cost him. And the missionary said, wow, he's really serious about this. This is amazing. This is awesome. He's really serious about this. So the day came for him to get baptized and the whole village turned out to watch this because this was a big deal. He was leaving everything that he knew. This was a big deal. And so they get ready to go get baptized and the village leader goes to his kids, hugs them in tears, to his wife, hugs her in tears and gets into the water with the missionary and he looks over at him just like in a real serious and he says, okay, took a deep breath. He's like, okay, I'm ready. And the missionary's thinking, man, this guy is really taking this seriously. And so he takes him under the water to baptize him and he brings him back up. And as he brings him back up, the village leader is like shocked. He's like, like he goes, he looks over to the missionary. He says, "What happened?" And he's like, "What do you mean? What happened?" He goes, "What happened? Why didn't? Why did you bring me back up?" And it's because he thought he he heard the message that when you give your life to Christ, you literally die in the waters of baptism. He had thought about it for days, and he thought, "I'm willing to give it all." And if it means to be right with God, to lay down in the waters of baptism, then that's where I'm going. And he had said his goodbyes, and he, was, he took it seriously to die to self. And when he came up out of the water and he realized, and it was explained to him, no, this is just a picture of what God has done on the inside, and yes, we're to die to our old self, and this is a, the, the village leader, he was like, oh my gosh, you mean, you mean this is like the start, like this is a brand new life. I thought it was it, but this is a brand new life. He ran over to his family. He's like, this is a brand, ran over to his friend. He said, this is a brand new day. Like everything from here on out is bonus. This is a brand, and he's like so excited that he didn't just get to die with Christ, but he got to live for Christ. And you realize that's how we're supposed to be? That we're not just supposed to die at salvation and lay down our life, but there's a life that we're to pick up and to live. It's not that at all that that's the finish line. That's just the starting line. See, the journey with God to follow me is the destination. God wants to do something, I believe, in us that we're going to have to, we're going to, have to surrender to the journey or we're going to live life frustrated. God wants to give us a brand new life. And even if you've already accepted Jesus today, you realize you can have a new, fresh outlook on life, a new perspective. It's called a renewed mind. And God can give you a revelation today of how you can walk for the rest of your life in newness of life. Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to worship God one more time? God, we thank you right now for the price that you paid for us, that you died on the cross, you took our sins, you took our place. We can't do anything to earn our salvation. You've done all the work for us. You rose from the dead. You give us life. Lord, we thank you for your grace. 
That even though we died to our old self, we have come alive to the new self in you. That it's in you we live, we move and have our being. It's in relationship with you that we're fully satisfied, God. And out of that, everything else will come. Lord, I just declare that as we worship you one more time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.